in under a minute, you will be transported to a bizarre and fantastic new age. Today, the modern world offers a spectacular array of revelations, embarrassments, and delights. Welcome to the 30th episode of Zero Hour Strikes, round number, the show that covers DC's 1994 crossover event, Zero Hour, Crisis in Time, every issue, every tie-in, every zero issue. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass. And in this episode, we look at Batman family titles and their numbers zero. The Outsiders, which is far from a Batman book at this point, but still, that's how it began. Catwoman and Robin. There weren't nearly as many Bat-related titles in 94 as there are now. No, no. That's okay. I mean, there's the four Batman titles, one a week, and then there's these three. And even so, Outsiders hardly counts. Yeah. So, so I'm like, wow, like compared to today... Sometimes like a whole week of DC, there'll be like two books that aren't Batman. <laughs> so And yeah, and they wonder why I'm Batmaned out. <laughs> yeah, very easy to be these days because holy crap, there's so much. It means the, the show won't be like five hours long. There's only three books to look at. Uh, let's start with Outsiders. Ugh. Well, like the Titans and Justice League, uh, they decided to break up the team in time for the Zero issue. It's the same idea. And this one falls between issues 11 and 12 of the series. The series lasts only one more year after this. It goes to number 24. So Okay. Yeah. Uh, the way Mike Barr handled this particular breakup was to split the team in two. So I don't know how much of an introduction a single issue can be when it focuses just on the one team. And then the next issue will have arguably the bigger names like Katana and I'm going to say a Geoforce. They're just, <laughs> you just glimpse them at the end of the issue. It's like, like now it's a split book, but in this introduction, we only really meet half the team. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering why we're meeting these guys and not the bigger guns. I mean, I mean, I'm not into outsiders at that time. I don't even really know who this team is, I see the Eradicator on the cover, but other than that, I have really no idea. So yeah. I'm, I'm wondering what what's going on. Is this even a team? Well, Halo and Looker are the other, the big names, or the originals, the original Outsiders that are in here, but they've, they've, well, I say original, Looker came in much later, but still, they're from the first book. And Eradicator comes over from the Superman books, and then we're going to see, like, you know, whoever else is in there is like the younger heroes that were introduced in this volume of the series. Ugh, still, it's, you know what? It's like, like if you're going to do The Outsiders and you don't have access to Black Lightning and to Metamorpho, it's like, oh, you're, you're, or Batman for that matter, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're in trouble already. Yeah, big time. And I don't think my bar is really introducing any new characters. It's like, like it breaks up and there's a new team. No, it's the same old team, but it's just they're split into whatever. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the general consensus between us two for the outsiders. I mean, it's pretty much a whatever team. And that was true of the originals, which a lot of people like. Well, well there's a lot of cool heroes in the original. I mean, the comic wasn't that good, but the, the superheroes, I mean, the heroes in it were pretty cool. I mean, Black Lightning is awesome. Metamorpho is awesome. Batman is is good. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Batman's pretty good. He's, yeah, he's, all right. he's okay. He's, all right. he's yeah. got a future. I think the, yeah, the yeah, character has potential. He's pulling his weight. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, I don't think a, I, I mean, Geoforce, probably one of the worst costumes in superhero classic costume history. And Katana's cool, but she's not really the main. So the Outsiders have always been a, a bit of a, a whole hum 
type. Yeah, a bit of hodgepodge of different ideas, and yeah. and they're not really outsiders. And I mean, I, I've made my case about this in the past, where yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that Katana had the most potential to me. But oh well, um, yeah. So she's only going to appear like one panel in the whole issue, uh, in this case. <laughs> Yay. Uh, well, it's The Outsiders number zero by Mike W. Barr, Paul Pelletier, and Robert Campanella. It's called From the Ashes. It goes a little like this. The Eradicator is on a mission to rid the streets of guns that have an addictive power over its users. He finds he needs help, so he goes back to some of The Outsiders, specifically Halo and Vampire Looker, who are living in Hollywood. They head for one of the suppliers and find he captured Wild out of his mind in the desert. Looker snaps him out of it after the supplier agrees to tell them where the guns are assembled. The ammunition seems magical, so they go and find Faust, who is using his powers to cheat at a casino, and he confirms there is something afoot and guides them to the proper warehouse. The gun assembly workers are immune to Looker's powers because they're actually yucky tentacle aliens who treasure the emotions of violence, which the hypergun crystallizes into something they can ingest. The outsiders rip the aliens to shreds and escape as the warehouse explodes. Then there's Geoforce, Katana, and Technocrat who show up at the end to disavow the, these other outsiders' actions and proclaim they will bring their former teammates to justice. Okay, manufactured angst. <laughs> manufactured angst. Manufactured angst. <laughs> really, really. Just talk to each other, guys. You know. Yeah, you, just call. Call their telephones back then. Katana and Halo are actually like big sister, little sister, or even if there's a falling out, even if you're in the wrong team, like just like, just give your old partner a call or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So to me, this is manufactured angst in the CW vein. Uh, <laughs> but let's start with the cover. So yeah, you only recognize, I don't disagree with you. The Eradicator is like the only recognizable character. And even so you would have to kind of know. He's not the recognizable Eradicator from the Superman comics. No, he, he, I mean, it's a modified Eradicator. You know, he has that, just the, the yellow triangle, uh, the big red cape. I mean, it's basically the blue and dark blue suit that kind of gives it away. And the glasses, the glasses. And the glasses, yeah. But Eradicator was never like one of the cool men's of steel there. I mean, he's like the cheap knockoff. He's... Mm -hmm. Well, especially in this case where he got a miniseries after the whole reign of the Superman, and then they merged him with this guy who had like a tragic history. And so now he becomes, and we'll see it in this issue, he really becomes the Batman of the group. Like he's Batman's replacement, yeah. essentially, in attitude. It's almost like a Punisher type character. Yeah. So yeah. He's, he doesn't feel like he's from the Superman books at all anymore. Really? I, I mean, other than the look, he, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, I imagine mean, if you'd kept Eradicator around, but you'd kept him with the mission uh, to, to, like, recreate Krypton, which he had originally. Yeah. In, instead of just another dark, brooding vigilante, you would have had someone who was trying to create a utopia. It's like, here, you could have done the same story and say, oh, the guns and blah, 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 but then you've got the Eradicator saying, on Krypton, there's weapon control. I'm going to control weapons. You know, yeah. you, you could have done it with a different motivation, but it just seems so. Well, I think the 90s, if your motivation did not include brooding, you were either cartoons for kids and even then, or probably for old folk. I mean, you had to brood. 
You had to be, <laughs> you had to have felt the loss, you know? Yeah. So yeah, but the cover, Eradicator kind of looks like Eradicator. I would never have guessed Faust. I don't know who Wild was. I thought he was, uh, I thought he was Tasmanian Devil. We did see him. This is how forgettable this series is, because we saw all these characters in the Zero Hour tie-in. Did we now? Yeah, they were all there. Wild was there. They were all there. Um, <laughs> and um, there was a lot of pink. I remember a lot of pink looking at visions and something. Okay. And then the team broke up. Uh, but they were all there. There's no new character. These were all outsiders before. And here we're going to have like that crazy coincidence that, oh, when they go get the supplier of weapons, he just happens to have imprisoned Wild randomly. Oh, yeah. That happens. So that an outsider can then rejoin the team also. It's like... Yeah. Yeah, just looking at them as like even, you know, Looker and Halo are in completely different costumes from their classic, dare I say, iconic looks. I was going to say, they don't look at all like they used to look. This is new. New hairstyles. Well, for Halo. So someone looking at this might think, oh, new characters. But no, it's all the same old, same old outsiders from the previous issue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say it because it really bothers me, uh, and we see it here on the cover a little bit, but Eradicator's scars, yeah. like his face is all scarred up in this time period, and it just looks like he's sweating bullets, and it's disgusting. <laughs> you know, somebody should have talked about the scars. There's something, like in most panels, unless you're really close up, maybe, they just look like droplets. They look like something's, like he's gushing sweat. Yeah. But it's there's so there are little marks on his face or little yeah. like wrinkles or something. Anyway, too many lines on a cartoon face makes makes him look old. Also, it's very weird. One big scar would have probably done a better job of you know showing scars because you can you can color it differently or. But here it really looks like he's sweating or he's dirty or over rendered. And that's going to be all throughout because the, the art style here, Paul Pelletier's art style is rather clean. Like, yeah, especially, really. especially like the girls are very much almost like uh, the Archie Legion, you know, the reboot Legion kind of look. But then yeah. you've got this, this eradicator dude, this big trench over his ripped up costume times. And he's got like these lines on his face. So I don't know. It, it doesn't work as a visual. No. Uh, and then, of course, you also have to bear through his, his whole, I'm the knight. I deny all innocence. <laughs> you know? I've been attacked by a cat. Oh, he never says it, but that's where That's what it looks from. like. Yeah, at best, that's what it looks like. You know, Halo says, oh, I never knew your backstory. And he says something like, uh, because I did not wish you to. It's like, okay, Batman. Like, like Batman <laughs> in The Outsiders early on was kind of like this. Like, really closed off. And they were sort of like, hey, Batman, how about you tell us what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on when you need to know. It's like, oh, my God. He was such a bad leader for this team oh, yeah. early on, which was one of my beefs. Mike Barr is just putting whatever he would have made Batman say. The Eradicator says it now, essentially. So, basically, he's Batman with a red cape. Yeah. Can we talk about... The whole Halo situation. We can. I mean, I don't know the story exactly, but they refer to it often enough. That she is now like, Halo's mind is in this other woman's body. Uh, and that this woman is really rich, and that's kind of where they're staying, and they use her private jet. And so she's taken on the identity of this rich woman, and she's just gotten this haircut. And I think she got the haircut because the white and black costume with the long black hair, she looked like apparition, which like Phantom Girl. 
in the reboot okay, yeah, region. Yeah. So I don't know if there was like a, oh, we got these designs already. This is what Phantom Girl looks like in the reboot. I think probably the SW6 Legion character already looked like that. So, okay, well, now it's confusing. So we need to just like tweak Halo. And instead of changing her costume, they just gave her short hair, which Phantom Girl would not have. But she's supposed to be in this mom bod. Okay. Well, because she's at the mall, she just got the haircut. She tries to make friends with these teenage girls, and they're all going like, "Who's the hag?" (laughs) (laughs) Kind of thing. Like, you know, they're really rude to her because she's an adult. But you look at the drawings, and like I said, this is very clean art, and she doesn't look any older than they do. So no, she looks early twenties at best. They react weirdly to her because she's a weird person. You know, she's, you know, she's always been kind of an amnesiac, unsocialized person who doesn't really know what's going on. And that hasn't changed over the years all that much. And here she's just trying to make an approach like she's maybe sixteen, like they are or something, and it doesn't work. So yeah, if a twenty-five-year-old stranger comes up to you and you're sixteen and you're going like, "Who the hell are you?" You know, <laughs> why are you trying to talk? Like a teenager or whatever, or maybe even her references are dated at this point. Probably. It it was one of those uh, weird social encounters that, I mean, I've never made a friend by just talking to somebody at them all. No. You know, friends are always created or come together in situations where you have something in common. That's where you make friends, not just randomly talking to people at the mall. So it, it's one of those encounters where you go, if you're shopping, why are you talking to people? <laughs> Maybe it's just my, you know, asocial behavior. I don't know, but I don't talk to people. I mean, it's a weird thing to do, but some people do. Some people are like that. I, some people are very very nice. I, I don't think I'm, I'm part of that. No. What doesn't work really in this isn't that she does this. It's that she's supposed to look so much older and she doesn't like to our eyes. Like the art doesn't make her look old enough because then you'd have like, I don't know. Is she supposed to be like a middle-aged superheroine? It's like, what's the, like Halo is a teenager in someone else's body, but how old is that body for it to really matter? The only answer is she has a lot of money. So I, that could be any age, but I don't know. This is what's problematic about this whole version of The Outsiders. They, they've all strayed so far from their iconic selves that they cease to be interesting. They've, they've lost what they had. The team itself has these wannabes like Wild and Technocrat and um, what's his face? Faust, okay? Oh my God, Technocrat, that is such... A horrible name. And such a, like, a very, it couldn't be a more generic armor. Like, we don't really see the character here, but, you know, just some one shot is like, that could just be a goon or, you know, like a henchman. Yeah, yeah. And the characters that we do know. So I'm not going to talk about Geoforce or Katana because we're not introduced to their situation in this. But Eradicator, we've already spoken about, is not the Eradicator that we know from the Superman books. Completely changed. Might as well be completely different. Completely yeah. new character. Halo... She doesn't look like herself. How does this this work? And then um, Looker, who, to be fair, didn't have a great concept to begin with. It was very problematic in the first place. Yeah. Was then turned into a vampire, which is about the more interesting thing here, that she has to to put sunscreen. And it's not that new. But still, Looker is now a vampire. It just muddles the concept. She's got these powers, but also she was turned into a vampire. But also... So I feel like 
when I look at this, like the characters aren't what they used to be. And no one is like they used to be at this point anyways. You know, I, I imagine Kitana and Geoforce are pretty similar to what they were. But what we're introduced here and we're asked to maybe buy this series based on this one issue... Well, the concept is real muddy at this point. So I feel like yeah. the whole book is trapped in this space. Not unlike the Teen Titans, for that matter, it has a similar problem. All the team books have this problem at this point. We've said this a million times. Why is this team together? Why break it up if you're going to just put it back together again just in... I don't know, with different colors? Or I don't know why they're doing it. Yeah, but. because they're all alone. Eradicator... Needs help, grabs a couple of them. They find a couple others on the way and they just join. It's like, yeah. why did you break up in the first place if you're, you just got like everything's forgiven in a couple of weeks, maybe? And then we're, we didn't talk about the story. Um, and we were kind of <laughs> joking before we started recording that its main characteristic was that it was not memorable. Yeah, it's forgettable. It's very forgettable. You know, it's about guns that have, or maybe the ammo is addictive and it's like yeah. these aliens and the aliens don't really last long. So I don't know if this is like a growing concern going forward, but there's a lot of little, I had to read this twice because I forgot it the first time. It's very forgettable. It's not a great story. And once again, <sighs> What's different from Teen Titans? What's different from angsty Justice League at this point? What makes the Outsiders different from other teams? Uh, there's nothing much, really. Uh, no. And then I had all the way through, I was like picking it apart. I was like, so what's the point of Faust leading the team to the right warehouse when this Bolt guy, the you know, gave up the address in the first place? It's like, why <laughs> yeah. is this happening except to get Faust on the team? If these guys are aliens... What does the ammo play some sort of magic number on Faust? Like, are they from another, like a mystical dimension? That's not really refer. You know, I don't know. So there's a lot of this clumsy connect the dots just to get these guys together. When the the issue before, like, why break them apart if you're then gonna have to awkwardly get them back together? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Yeah. So basically, they just made it awkward. Yeah, it's it's like a false cliffhanger. It's like a Doctor Who where uh, or anything. There's a cliffhanger, and then within two seconds, your cliffhanger is resolved. You know, in in the next episode. I I don't love this one. I'm right there with you. Would you keep reading The Outsiders based on this issue? I would not. The only thing I like from this book is that Halo has a new haircut. I'm digging the short hair. Okay. I'm okay with it. I think it looks good. Other than that, I, this is 100% forgettable. Oh, well. Next up, Breath of Fresh Air, actually. Catwoman. Ooh. It's number zero. It sits between issues 14 and 15 of the series. And this one was a hit, unlike Outsiders. It will last until the year 2001 uh, and issue 94, but only so it can reset to zero. So I don't think DC Comics has had no Catwoman series since this one started, actually. Oh. Like since 93, there's always been a Catwoman book on the stands, I think. Okay. And there's never been a long hiatus, if not. So so let's see how they reintroduce her to potential new readers in this case. Catwoman number zero by Doug Mensch, Jim Ballant, and Bob Smith. It's called Cat Shadows. Today, Catwoman is a loner a cat and a woman. But once, once she was a little girl and her mom, a crazy cat lady, I counted 18 cats on page four, committed suicide and left her with her boozing dad. She didn't do well in school on purpose and eventually her father killed himself too. She took to the streets rather than be absorbed in the system. 
She got caught stealing food and was sent to Seagate Juvenile Prison, where she's immediately tagged as a loner and uh, a troublemaker. At night, she finds a way to acrobatically play on Seagate's gothic roof. The institution's director beats her and is also corrupt, paying off inspectors and embezzling money. That's how Selena's gonna get her. She steals her ledger and threatens to expose her if she doesn't pay. So that night, the director grabs her, puts her in a bag, and throws her off a cliff into the ocean. But Selena survives and returns to carry out her extortion. She forces the director to erase her from the records and frees all the kids, just like she did her mother's cats. From there, she squats in an abandoned building and her mom's cats, or just strays perhaps, start to show up. She starts on her path as a jewel thief, gaining finesse as she gets older. When she spies Batman in an alley, she decides to get a costume for herself and started a romantic cat and mouse game with him. And finally, we see the burglary du jour, where Selina has no problem luring a Siamese cat with a jeweled necklace to the window and taking it, cat and all. I will note here, in terms of just the creative team, that uh, Joe Duffy wrote the previous issues. And here, it's Doug Mensch doing just a one-off. Just a one-issue before Chuck Dixon takes over. So one of the Batman writers basically acting as a hired gun to do this one thing. And I think he gets it, because he retells elements of her origin, and I think possibly for the first time. I don't think this is, was all already revealed and just repackaged here. I never really knew any other Catwoman origin stories except for this one. I can't remember another one. This is the only one. I've read this comic book uh, way back when. This is the only Catwoman origin story I know of. Uh, I will admit that Purple and Black Catwoman was, that's where I kind of fell in love with that character. Okay, so okay. I really enjoy in the comic that there's the gray suit that kind of looks like the one from the uh, the animated series. I think it comes from Frank Miller and David Mazzuccelli. It comes from year one. Uh, and in that, or at least the miniseries, anyway, there was an indication that she'd become a prostitute. That was part oh, of her backstory. Okay. In this case, we kind of see her as a, a dominatrix. But it also says in the captions that she's stealing from, you know, she's stealing from criminals or something at this point in her life. I think the implication is that we're stepping back from from the whole prostitute thing, which was controversial, and just say, well, dominatrix doesn't have to sleep with anyone. No, no. There's rarely any sleeping. Uh, So maybe that was like the sex stuff she was doing, but it was also part of a con to steal from the clients, which doesn't hurt her backstory as much as as that other idea. But at the same time, if you want to believe it, if you like those stories and you want to believe that, you still can because it doesn't contradict that. No, absolutely not. I don't think it takes away and I don't think it adds really. I mean, if, if you think that was in there, that's in there and it doesn't really matter. But I really did enjoy this story. I love how independent this origin story makes her you know, she likes the Batman, but, you know, she doesn't need to have the Batman around. She's a strong, independent woman. I love it. Let's backtrack to that cover, which has a Catwoman with her whip. Looks like a stormy day in Gotham. And she's bursting through a window into the outside. There's some cats hissing there on the ledge. What do you think of this one? Oh, I like it. I like it. I mean, the whip is a dramatically too long, but that's great. That's perfect. We don't mind. I think it's a great action pinup cover. It has a lot of motion in it. There's a lot of movement. You know, everything is on the crooked. She's leaping claws out, whip out, 
face means business. I mean, it's great. At, at this point, she's not because the purple and black Catwoman had a <laughs> had a breast problem for a while. They got larger and larger and larger and larger. But at this point, she's very athletic, very muscular. And uh, I think this is pretty much the perfect Catwoman. I mean, she she just means business right now. So I really like it. Yeah, I like the motion of the, especially like the shards of glass from the window yeah. in this. It's a little busy, like the background is like too many cranes or <laughs> what's going on. It makes a statement. And like you, I really dug the story. I'm a cat person. I find a lot of the stuff, especially when she's a kid, quite relatable. Like we're seeing the building blocks throughout of the character that we know now, which is cool, you know. So she's obviously yeah. a cat whisperer, as I am. Uh, my mom always used to say that, uh, like, cats were drawn to us, myself and my two siblings. Cats were just drawn to us and accepted us more readily than perhaps other humans. Still true. But even so, the cat slashes at her. Again, very relatable. I'm all marked <laughs> up. Ash Morgan, my cat, is uh, sitting at my feet right now, but he's been a pest all day. So, <laughs> And he's preparing to either cuddle or attack. Uh, he's not much of a cuddler. Really? So um, he is an attacker. <laughs> so I don't All know. Right. Now he's grooming. I'm safe for now. But he also doesn't <laughs> like it when I speak alone, which is what it seems to be yeah. for him yeah. right now. So we'll see how it goes. He's thinking his human just went nuts. Yeah. So the, the cat slashes at her. There's a lot of blood <laughs> for, for what it is. Uh, definitely. Cat whispering or not. I hate that. You hear me, Ash? I hate that. <laughs> you know, but she's licking her wounds, right? She's She has cat-like behavior. And she's obviously traumatized in these sequences. Almost catatonic. You know, she's, she just looks into dead space. No parental figures of note. Obviously, yeah. her mother was disturbed. Her father is on the booze and he's also gonna commit a desperate outrage so yeah he's he's no help at all i mean it's an awful end for that character and that that man but oh my god he is in, in some ways thank god he's out of her life he was not a pleasant person to be around oh my lord He's in there for four or five pages, and I'm, I was like, oh, my God, can you be a more toxic parent? Yeah, no, because he goes to the school, and, you know, they're complaining that she's she's anti-authority, which is something that's going to stick with her forever. He's no parental figure to her. So he just dies, and it's like good riddance, and she's free. And so there's a lot of focus on this, that uh, Selena Kyle wants to be free, believes in freedom. Like, when, when she frees the cats... It's like she doesn't keep the cats and they can follow her or they can just go their own way and she doesn't care because be free. And she's going to do yeah. the same thing with the kids at the at the reform school or whatever you want to call that institution. Uh, she Like her mom made her a gymnast. Her dad yeah. taught her that work was a burden. Like that's one of the lessons he seems to teach. Going to work is just like a burden. So she's never going to wor work a day in her life or not an honest day anyway. So all of this stuff is all part of the character today. And it's really in a compact way. Yes, there's some like the, the cat-like behavior to make her a little more like a Batman villain where they have a psychosis about it. But you can also yeah. understand how these strange behaviors would have developed in that home. Oh, my and the traumas, oh my God, she gets put in a bag. You know how some people are just incredibly cruel and just drown? Cats in the bag, yeah. Oh my Lord, when I saw that, the, she gets put in a bag and thrown off a cliff into water. I was like, oh my, 
how evil is this matron? Yeah. The, the matron is pretty bad uh, in every way. It's and she, like the matron's on the phone at some point uh, with uh, whoever she's paying off, a partner in crime. And she says, uh, you know, this isn't uh, this isn't Dickens, you know, whatever. But it is Dickens. It is. <laughs> it's totally Dickens. It's like this crazy orphanage. Where, you know, bad things happen to the kids. It's Dickens all over. But yes, oh, yeah. the cat element of the the cat in the bag, you know, being drowned in a bag, which is a cat thing. Oh, yeah. As far as other punishments, she, she gets thrown in the hole, sort, more or less. You know, she's she's in solitary and she can escape and she goes on the rooftops and she's like like almost a ballerina on the tip of, of the gables there. So she's yeah. developing her skills. But also one of the punishments is like the woman takes out her belt and whips her with it. And so I'm thinking, oh, is that like the origin of the whip? Is that like the idea of the whip that Selena's going to get later? I do think, yes. It's something that probably stuck, you know, where it, it hurts and you can use it to fight, but, you know, it's not going to kill anyone, you know. And she, she uses the whip later on with the uh, dominatrix thing. True. But I think the, the first time that the whip is used against her, I really think that's one of those moments where she goes, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I get it. A whip. It, it seems like that. You kind of hit the nail on the head when you said that, you know, we're seeing the building blocks. Almost every panel here could be the building blocks for the Selena Kyle that we know. I don't know how long this lasts. Does she seem older, like at the end of the story, than she, when she escapes from Seagate? Is she noticeably taller than at the beginning? It's like, how long was she in there? She does look a bit older. I mean, uh, the her... Um, her figure. Yeah, her figure is developed a bit. When she comes in all wet and her... I mean, everything is kind of clingy on her. You can see that she's she's now a older teenager, young woman. But I, I don't know if she's that much older, but it could have been like a year or two or at least two. I, I'm, I was thinking two years, but I don't know. It doesn't take much for a child to become a teenager. And then she's one of the things like we're saying, oh, the figure maybe and we're not sure. And this is still Jim Ballant who originated the the giant breast, you know, the yeah, costume yeah, yeah. that goes under the boob that the girls on Otago are not often poke fun at. As something that's not that's not believable. So the fact that here that she's a child or a young teenager, he gets to focus on something other than boob physics. Yeah. And it's for the good, because there's a lot of interesting art in this, uh, I felt. Like, you know, when she's she's standing on top of her head and you see the whole scene upside down, for example. Yeah. All the stuff on the gables and dancing on the gables looks really nice and almost like a fairy tale. Like, you know, there's like there's something of a myth in there. That I like. When he's not too distracted by other concerns, he can pull off an issue like this where it, it's not necessary. Absolutely. And there's so much action and movement and moving around. Sometimes it's kind of like looking at Nightwing, you know. It is, at times, very graceful. When the, the focus isn't on the boobage, things flow incredibly well. So there are a lot of nice shots and a lot of interesting perspectives. And, and at the same time, it's a little cartoony at times as well because it's sort of a childhood story. So I quite like this. Ends on a, well, that part of it ends on a pun as well because um, when, when she leaves Seagate, she says, uh, you're free, kitties. And she says, two Ds, little kids. But yeah. uh, but this is kind of the same thing she's told the cats. So you're free, kitties, with 
two T's. So I also like this. And then, you know, like the recap of stuff that we already know, that would have the career with Catwoman. That goes by really fast, but it kind of needs to be there. And then finally we get, I think we get sort of a full adventure, even though it's like two pages, like the first and the last, essentially. But we get a whole caper where she steals this diamond, this jeweled necklace, not from the cat, but with the whole cat. And the cat com- completely agrees to go with her because later <laughs> in her apartment, there's the cat. You know, yeah. So she keeps the cat and the necklace. If the cat didn't want to come, she would have just taken the necklace, but the cat wanted to come. And she's all about that. Like she tells that cat, you know, you're free to roam, you're free to stay, you're free to go, you're free to do whatever. No strings attached and don't expect too much from me. Keep your independence because, and that's pragmatic because she may not be there the next day because she might be in jail or something, you know. Exactly. It's like this is a penthouse apartment with windows wide open. And if the cats want to leave, they just, or must leave, they can't. And it's an image of herself as that free spirit. Absolutely. My God. So this was not my first issue. My first issue was number one. And I didn't keep reading it for long. It's like maybe maybe just that one, maybe two or three issues, something like that. If this had been my first issue, I might have been a little bit like, oh, uh, they change writers immediately afterwards, which is could have been, I don't know what happens next, you know. But if I'd read this first, I would have said, yes, I'm going to keep reading this book. Me too. My Lord. There's a huge difference between the Catwoman we just read and the one we read some time ago. It was fine. It was okay. You know, it never grabbed me in the way that like this origin story. And I, I Chuck Dixon is a good writer, especially at this point on, on uh, Batman related books. As we're going to see after the break, uh, because he writes that next issue that we're talking about. But would it have had the same spark as this Doug Mensch story? I don't know. So, but I don't know this. You know, I'm buying the the zero issue. I'm thinking, okay, am I buying this book from now on? Based on this one, I would say yes. Yeah, I would say yes, too. And there's one panel where, you know, Selena Kyle says uh, to Batman, give us a kiss. Mm -hmm. No. I just love the baffled Batman look, <laughs> you know, you know, Batman is always so, you know, gritty and dark, but for some reason, Catwoman, she doesn't care. And he has this baffled Batman look. He, he just doesn't know how to, how to react. And it, I just love it. So I would read this just because of that panel. And as, uh, my cat just moved over to the other couch, to continue grooming away from my annoying voice, we will go to uh, <laughs> a promo break. When we come back, we're talking about Robin. Ooh. Stick around. The Justice League wouldn't help him, so Batman formed a new team. These people of power are all looking for something, be it their past or a purpose or simply somewhere to fit in. These are the heroes for a troubled age. They are the Outsiders. We are the Outsiders! Covering Mike W. Barr's 1983 series from the very beginning, as they face villains no other team can, like Agent Orange, the Force of July, and the Nuclear Family. (laughs) Puns. This is The Outcasters, a Batman and the Outsiders podcast. Look for us with The Huntress Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Or listen at our website, thehuntresspodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at BatOutcasters. We are The Outcasters, 
Because to live outside the law, you must be honest. We're back. You stuck around and we're talking about Robin. Robin number zero. And there is no character that says more Batman family than Robin does. Yeah. Kind of kept him to the end for that. And it was also one of our favorite issues from the tie-ins was a Robin story. So we'll see how he does with the zero issue. It comes between issues 10 and 11 of Tim Drake's monthly series, which he'd earned after three successful miniseries. The series would last a whopping 183 issues, Bass. Wow. Really more than 200 if you count annuals and specials. And it ends wow. It ends only because Tim becomes Red Robin and he still holds the series with that identity for another two plus years, at which point everything gets flush pointed or whatever. So yeah. in other words, he keeps a series until the end of that version of the DC universe. So I'm just counting quickly right now. And that's a lot more than Outsiders. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely a lot more. I mean, Tim Drake is a great character, though. I can't wait till we get into this one. So Robin number zero is by Chuck Dixon, Tom Grummet, and Ray Crissing. It's called Brothers in Arms. Uh, while Two-Face explains why he hates Robin twice as much as he does Batman, Tim Drake and Nightwing are on a rooftop, waiting for crooks to drop their guards so they can pounce on them. While they wait, they discuss how each Robin was chosen to fill the role. The most important story told is the one where Two-Face killed Aldrich Meany, his replacement at the DA's office, and gave Dick Grayson a terrible beating. At every turn, a Robin seems to have been present at Two-Face's most humiliating defeats. And typically, in this story, Dick bought Batman some time so he could swoop in and kick Two-Face's ass. We're also supposed to see why Dick was chosen by Batman in the first place, because Bruce needs to take a break, and he can't bear the thought of another fiasco like Azrael succeeding him. Dick is minted as the new Batman as we head into the prodigal storyline. Ah, nice little synopsis there. Thank you. But let's start with that cover. Pin up, Tim Drake. I mean, this is much more about Dick Grayson, you know, the issue, the origin. Tim Drake, obviously, that's his book, and he gets the cover. The new Robin look, you know, he has uh, full pants. He's not just running around in underwear. Um, he has the black and yellow cape, which is different from the other Robins. But other than that, I mean, somebody who's just looking quick could see uh, some that looks like Dick Grayson. Bruce Wayne only adopts kids with black hair. They have to look like him. Yeah, because even Two-Face in this, this story, Two-Face isn't quite sure. I think he understands that the first Robin and the second Robin are the same, but... I don't think he realizes that Jason Todd isn't Tim Drake or whatever. It's very confusing. They all have the same uh, the same look. But Tim Drake has a little something different, though. I don't know what it is. Maybe because he's a little shorter, not as muscular. I don't know. But he has something different. Do you think he was well served by this issue? Like I said, I, I think this is mostly about Dick. And it's about Dick becoming Batman at the end, which I will have some you know thoughts about. But... Tim gets his origin told like really quickly in the same way that Jason gets his origin told really quickly, like the, like a one pager or something. Is that, is that okay with you as a zero issue? This Robin issue is kind of like the black widow movie. You think it's about one person, but it's really about the other in this one. We think it's going to be about Tim Drake, but it's really about Dick and Dick was Robin for so long. Even though the story in this book is more about Dick, 
he's still passing the torch, a, a torch that was never really passed from Dick Grayson to, to Jason Todd. But in this one, he literally passes the torch. That is an interesting observation. Now, this really is not the origin of any specific Robin, but the origin of the or the the story of that legacy, that yeah. that role. And why did Batman create that role, and why did he keep someone in that role? And then we see it from the perspective of the sidekicks themselves who have played the role, and of yeah. Two Face, who he actually makes the the the, the important points that Batman needs a Robin because Robin is like the distraction and Robin is like the secret weapon. And, you know, you've got Batman beat. Here comes Robin. It's like, oh, no, it's like an asymmetry that he uh, can't bear because everything has to be in two. So you got you need Two-Face versus Batman. You can't have – you can't fight two opponents even though two <laughs> is his fetish number. I mean, there, there's yeah. a lot of – it's fun to have Two-Face in this. It does set up that he's going to be in the next issue. You know, it's like he's going to go after oh, Tim yeah. Drake. But also the idea that everything is a dual thing for him. Two Robins, you know, that we get in this story. These dueling flashbacks. Two-Face's flashback becomes one of the Robins' flashback. You know, yeah. and the story gets told, like, there's a passing of the flashback uh, across the whole issue. So there's dual points of view. It is a Two-Face story in every way. And it also makes sense in terms of the relationship between the issues. Because in the previous issue, in the tie-in, we had the younger Robin showing up as a temporal anomaly. Yeah. And the two Robins team up. And of course, Tim knows Nightwing, but this is Nightwing when he's a kid. And it's like, there's a different dynamic. And it's like, oh, this is was his attitude when he was a kid. And what does that mean for my future and whatever? So it kind of makes sense that now he's very curious about Nightwing. When yeah. he was Robin. And so he asks all these questions and Nightwing's a little bit like, I'm not sure I want to answer all these questions, <laughs> but at the same time, they've got time to kill because, and I like, I really like the idea of uh, the trade craft. Like Dick says, okay, we're going to wait because right now they're opening up the safe. They're focused. You know, they're very alert. But once they've opened it and they start celebrating and sort of looking at the, whatever, the jewels or whatever, they're going to be distracted. They're going to be easy easier to, to fight then. So we're going to wait. So I like that tradecraft and this wisdom yeah. and he's showing it. And and we don't know, but it's kind of telling us, like put him in the Batman costume here. He's, it's, it'd be Batman and Robin. And you can tell. So there's a mentor, there's a mentee. There's, there, you know, he like, okay, let's, let's hold off. Let's go in. He's already showing yeah. that leadership. So he could be dressed as Batman in this story. And it was, it would be the same. Yeah, absolutely. I really like that Dick's costume, Nightwing's costume, is on his, its way to becoming the iconic Nightwing costume, the the black and, and blue. In this one, there's still a lot of yellow yeah. going on, and it's reminiscent of the disco costume, you know, that, that crazy first Nightwing costume. And in this one, he has this little cape thing that's still yellow, like when he was Robin and, and I, I kind of, I kind of dig the way that we reminisce about how Dick Grayson was Robin and he's not telling the story with, with bitterness. He's just telling the story as it is. And, and, and it was a, a traumatic story for him because he, he lost that day. He tried to save someone that ultimately died, but he's not telling the story of how he didn't want to be Robin anymore. And that's kind of the focus all the time for uh, Nightwing. 
he's really telling a Robin story. And I kind of dug that because he's not saying, you know, Robin is, I never want to be Robin again. or I didn't want to be Robin. He's telling a real Robin story and he's really being uh, somewhat vulnerable with Tim, which is a, which is a weird thing because, you know, Bruce doesn't do that. Yeah. We're also seeing the differences between the two styles. I mean, by the end, we realize this is a story of how you choose a Robin, but also how you choose a Batman. Uh, and, and this is, I'm going to, okay, here's my editorial, my beef uh, with the Batman offices. <laughs> like, Dick wasn't going to be Batman for long. Like, you know, three months, I think, Prodigal lasted. Yeah. It didn't make as much of a mark as when, you know, more recently yeah. uh, Dick Grayson became Batman. You know, Battle for the Cowl and all of this stuff yeah. where he's partnered with uh, Damien. That was magic. And that was like, okay, we're done with, we're done with Bruce Wayne. We can have this Dick Grayson Batman for a while or forever. And we're quite happy yeah. with it. I think that one left a real mark. But at this point, this is a shift. Yes, it's a Robin taking the role, but it's a shift for Batman. And we spent all four Batman books retelling the origin of Batman twice, like the same stuff. And then uh, Legends of the Dark Knight was just like a preview of upcoming stories. There was just like nothing happening, nothing new in the Batman books, per se. And then we're going to launch the new direction Like in a Robin book. Yeah. So, and so Batman issues were some of the worst, or at least the most pointless that we had to read. This happens sort of on the fringe. I think the bold new direction should have been the whole thing. Like the bad books should have had Bruce thinking about his choice. Like maybe remember your history, but also think about his choice and make it last. But no, it's, ugh. Yeah, I know. And, and I completely agree with you. I mean, <sighs> It's either that they had to, you know, put out Batman books and they didn't know or they didn't want to, uh, you know, ruin the surprise. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what makes even less sense. The reason I am calling out editorial on this is that, okay, Batman gets his back broken, replaced by Azrael, Asbats. Then Batman has to come back and stop Asbats. And then immediately, mm, I still need a break. And then, you know, like he's just the, around... In time to participate in Zero Hour. It's like they wanted him in Zero Hour. And then immediately says, mm, let's have somebody else. <laughs> so it's like, it just seems like one step forward, two steps back with this story yeah. where it should have been, okay, let's take down, like, like Bruce Wayne should still have been pretty hurt, even though I'm still in a wheelchair or whatever. Let's take down this Asbats character using the other characters, uh, yeah. the other members of the family. And then at the end of that, look, Dick, I should have given this to you, you know, all along. Yeah. And then yeah. you keep being Batman while I get physical therapy or whatever. And then yeah. you, then you return Bruce if you need to, but feels like this is so bungled and it's almost like, Oh, we need the real Batman for zero hours. So we're gonna, we're gonna do this really clumsy thing where he returns, but then he immediately doesn't return. And if the story would have taken place with Dick Grayson as Batman in zero hour, the whole other Robin issue would have been totally different. Because all of a sudden you have Dick Grayson Batman and Dick Grayson Robin somewhere having to interact with one another. And young Dick Grayson doesn't know he's Batman. Right. That would have. Yes. You know, yes. And, and all of a sudden we have something going on. There's a, like this other kind of magic going on here where past and future collide, you know, or work together or it would have been good. But I think I think editorial chickened out. 
basically. They chickened out. They didn't want to put Dick in the suit, in the cowl. They thought Bruce needed to be there, and it just became ho-hum. To be like, this ends on an odd note for me. Like, it's a good issue? Based on this, would you have kept reading Robin? Or is that a dumb question? I would have kept reading Robin. I mean, I I really would have loved that DC would have leaned into the Dick Grayson becoming Batman and this Robin being with him. Because I really enjoy the detective Robin and the athletic Batman. It's like reversed roles for a minute, you know, where usually Batman is the detective and mm-hmm. and Robin is the athletic jumpy one and this was a fun take on this duo on this dynamic duo that could have been a lot better than it was so but we're robin readers so i would have kept reading this i mean i did (laughs) absolutely yeah i read all the the robin comics for i don't know when i stopped but probably mm, yeah probably when i quit comics is probably when i quit robin (laughs) and then uh, when i came back to comics i read red robin so there you go yeah Tim Drake uh, forever. (laughs) We'll take a short break. When we return, your feedback on our previous episode. R. What's that stand for? Robin. Hello, everyone. This is Rob Myers, and I'd like to invite you to check out my podcast called Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. Rob, are you going to take out the trash? Uh, I'm right in the middle of uh, recording an ad for my my podcast. I'll, I'll do it in just a little bit, okay? Sorry to interrupt. Boy wonder time. Boy wonder? I'm all man, lady. Uh, Rob? Uh, okay, where was I? That's right. My podcast, Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. It'll be hosted over at thebatmanuniverse.net. I'll be covering Tim Drake's origin story from the very beginning, starting with Tim's first appearance in Batman 436, also known as Batman Year 3, and hopefully going all the way through the Robin ongoing series, starting with issue 1 and going all the way to issue 183. 183 issues? Wow. Well, it's a good thing, because... Everyone loves the Drake. You don't like the Drake? I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Letters lost in time. Letters lost in time. Excerpts from your comments on our coverage of the zero issues of all new series. Primal Force, Starman, Fate, and Manhunter, and Starman. Um, Also Starman. Starman was in there. Was I there for Starman? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were there yeah, for Starman. So. I'm saying it like that because most people wanted to talk about Starman. <laughs> I can't believe people didn't want to talk about fate. Uh, well, some did. So uh, there's just some comments on everything, but I think mostly okay. it was heavy on the Starman comments. Chris Franklin says of Starman, honestly, it's my favorite sustained start to finish comic series. The quality of the series never faltered and Robinson got to end it on his own terms. And thankfully... As of right now, right now, anyway, no one has dared muddy Jack's story. Ooh. Right? It's true. It's just like it is true. Jack Knight hasn't been like like a new, new number one Starman all screwed up or anything. He says also, I can't agree more about Opal City. I would argue its identity is even stronger than that of Metropolis or Gotham because those cities Ooh. seem to change depending on who is creating the tales. You know, they can be variations, whereas Opal City was always written by the same person. One minor note. The shop Forbidden Tales actually belonged to Charity, who was a 70s DC horror host in the title Forbidden Tales of Dark Mansion, formerly the Dark Mansion of Forbidden Love. 
She predated Madame Xanadu by about six years and was just another example of Robinson's mining very obscure DC lore to populate Opal City. Charity becomes a recurring character in the title and a friend and an ally to Jack. That's what I was kind of half remembering and I did my research wrong. Speaking of my mistakes, Isamu Yukinori uh, spotted Manhunter's girlfriend on a page after Manhunter was supposed to take her to the hospital, so I guess he never did. I'm even more perplexed by the storyline. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I know even less what's going on. And Martin Gray reminds me, and reminds me well, that David Knight made a previous appearance as Starman in the Will Payton series, so his harsh comment acknowledges that history. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tom Panarese says, I think all I remember about Primal Force, Manhunter, and Fate are the names and the cover images because I took a hard pass on all of them. Why does Fate look like Rocksteady and Bebop's friend who didn't get transformed by the the mutagenic ooze? (laughs) And just comic book confession is that he bought all of these zero issues and only stuck with Primal Force. Oh, wow. Like for four issues, and he has yet to read Starman. Come on, Ange. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, he's not alone wow. because Tam- Tom Panarese and Bradley Null both admit that they skipped it originally. But unlike Ange, they found it and enjoyed it later in life. Oh, well, Ange is going to enjoy discovering Starman. Wow. And soon, we hope. Uh, Diablo Frank's verdict on the four books we covered. Primal Force. My perception as an uninitiated DCU reader was Captain Planet and the Planeteers. These guys become the lame men, a near miss of nominative determinism. Meridian is right near the bottom of the barrel of period nondescript noun naming conventions, and she couldn't even be bothered to ever put on a proper costume. I think even by 94, I knew Red Tornado was an animated trash can without the personality that might suggest. (laughs) I already perceived Jack-O-Lantern as a bad guy from JLI, which could have been interesting, but they went with with a neophyte in a potato sack instead. I did not catch the claw reference, so he just seemed like a generic team swordsman because that's all he ended up being. It's sad when Brazen Conan knockoff is the good version of the property. Nothing of value came out of this title but the nice logo. On Starman, he says he only read to issue four, then picked up an occasional issue and has no regrets because Frank... And uh, <laughs> and he recommends he recommends Jeff Lemire's Black Hammer. I think on this we can agree, but it's, it has the same vibe. Okay, maybe Frank can rediscover Starman. I, I I mean, sometimes time creates this thing where you kind of forget the yucky stuff and you kind of embrace the good stuff a lot more. Maybe Frank should give it another go. For fate, he calls John Francis Moore the primal force of writers. So, coupled with art by Anthony Williams, a hindrance rather than an asset, and an unsympathetic jerk lead character, it's a wonder fate lasted over a year. There's a reason for that, though. Moore left after five issues to be replaced briefly by Stephen Grant and longer term by Len Kaminsky. Hmm. And his uh, a brief comment here on Manhunter. I was Team Mark Shaw on the Manhunter front, so I resented Lindor White Chocolate Spawn from the start. <laughs> uh, and finally, David S. Gutierrez asks, if Zero Hour was worth it because it gave us Starman? He says yes. What do we say? Well, I mean, it's one character. I say no. It's not worth it because of Starman. It's worth it because it rebooted the Legion, launched the Legion where it was in a really uh, awful place, and that version lasted 10 years. And you need Zero Hour for a reboot to happen. 
Like you need an excuse for the timeline to change. And that gave us Legion. Starman, I think, would have happened regardless. I really think so also. I, I think Starman was going to happen, well, zero hour or not. It doesn't seem like a result of zero hour. It seems like it was well-prepared long before. There's so much thought behind it. It's a sequel to Golden Age, the miniseries. Yeah. And that had already appeared. So I think I think they just decided to connect it to zero hour because it was an opportune time. But I think James Robinson was going to do Starman no matter what. Oh, yeah. I, I have no proof of this, but um, we can't say, yay, zero hour, because it gave us that. No. And on that note, we have to mention that the Fire and Water Podcast Network has a Patreon page. So if you like our content, please think about making a one-time or a monthly donation, the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards. Get on the zero list, okay? <laughs> Get on now. It's a zero list. <laughs> on patreon.com slash fwpodcast, just like these fine folks, they got on the zero list. That means they are going to escape the cataclysmic time wave that's coming from both ends of history. Jim Bal has been saved from the American Revolution and never heard Miss America sing. David Capoon has been saved from Gateway City and never even got to see Wonder Woman. Michael Bailey has been saved from Future's End, but I have no joke here because I didn't read it. Diablo Frank <laughs> has been saved from the Marvel Universe, which we've proven, we've proven is part of the DC Universe. And Spindrift Games has been saved from Earth X which is only called that because there is thankfully no swastika key on our keyboards. A reminder that you too can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can follow Fire and Water's Facebook page on Twitter. The account is FW Podcast. You can also follow the show on Spotify. Next time on Zero Hour Strikes, Wonder Woman, Hawkman, and Aquaman. <laughs>